Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. My guest today is Richie Sims. Richie is an artist and a good friend of mine, and honestly, we use this episode to catch back up since it's been five years. So hope everyone enjoys the show, and welcome Richie Sims. Like, I'm just used to whoever called me, whatever, man. Whatever's comfortable with people. Yeah. You that's know, how it's real. Yeah, that's my real, man. It's, it's whatever, you know? I'm not one of those people who, like, if you know, you get my name wrong or whatever, I'm going to get out of your case about it. Is no. there something awesome? Is there something that you, you don't like? That there's, like, dick. Dick? <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. No, no. I had a lot of dick jokes. Because <clears throat> obviously my name's Richard, so, yeah. you know, naturally. You know, you hear a lot of dick jokes. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, man, it's been it's been quite a while. I think last time last time we we hung out, it was uh, Stanley's football. That was the 2015. Yeah, those were some good times, though, man. Yeah, oh, those were some good times for sure. That was a, a great group of people we had on the team. Nah, like shout out to the Stallions, man. Like you know, bang bang Stallion again for sure. Yeah, we actually did pretty good. Like for, uh, I think we had a whole bunch of like like rookies, on people. Yeah. First time that we went to like quarterfinals or semifinals. You know, we had a good group of guys. You know, it's just unfortunate that you know uh, politics kind of got in the way of things. You know, and and kind of led to, to the demise of things. You know, but hey, like you know, I it, for me like it's beyond football for me. You know, I, I formed a lot of great uh, friendships. You know. Um, to the team, like, you know, and me at the time when I was joining the team, you know, I was in a really dark place in my life, um, you know, so it, like, kind of joining the signs at the time kind of, like, took me out that dark spot, like, you know what I mean, and, and you know, helped me form a lot of healthy relationships with the same time, you know what I mean, so, I mean, likewise, why we're here right now, having this podcast, <laughs> so. Yeah, and that's why, well, I think sports and community and being around people is so important, I think, during this lockdown, I think one thing um, that was maybe that they got wrong, I would say, the government yeah. is the word social distance. Yeah. Which made like people think don't be social with people, and people, I think, were going nuts. They're going crazy yeah. emotions. Like, I got, I lived by myself, and I was just, yeah. one day start crying for no reason. I'm like, what's happening? It's just yeah. not interacting with humans anymore. So I think we can physically distance, but we can still be social and be smart, but most definitely. And I think uh, that's why I love football so much. Yeah. Um, I think that's why me too, you know, one thing I absolutely love, um, no matter what time it is, I love watching football, playing football. For sure. And I think it's just the community with the teams because you just learn so much about your your brothers on the team. Oh, for sure. You know, there's a lot of branches that, you know, come out from, you know, just athletics, you know, no matter if it's football or more hockey, basketball, any like team sport, you know, there's a lot of branches that... A lot of connections that you can make 
uh, throughout it, you know. So that's the one thing I definitely appreciate with, you know, uh, team sports, for sure. And how you been watching NFL, sorry, NFL? Yeah, I've been watching a little bit. I haven't kept up with it too much. Uh, you know, I've been more locked in with the NBA right now. Yeah. Who's your team in NBA? Are you still? Um, oh, well, the Raptors, but, you know, obviously they lost. But, uh, you know, uh, the Lakers are looking really good right now. They're looking kind of scary. They're in the finals or in the, they're in the conference finals? Uh, conference finals. Yes, you know, uh, yeah, Miami's looking good, too. They look like they have a bunch of And weren't they, like, the last team Miami? They were, like, last seed or one of the worst teams in the, I guess, in the bubble. Um, That's what I heard compared to, like, Boston and... The Raptors. Well, well, people, they were a dark horse. I, I, people kind of broke them off type of thing, um, you know, because I guess looking at the structure of the team, they have a lot of rookies and stuff like that. But, like, these rookies, they have, they have guts, man. They're, they're, they're shooters, those guys. Like, those white boys, like Duncan, uh, Duncan Robinson and, and Tyler Hero, holy crap. Like, those guys are cool. Yeah, man, it's uh, really refreshing to see, like, you know, these rookies just, like, kind of have, like, no fear, especially in, like, high-pressure moments like the playoffs, too. Yeah. Like, you know, they're saying, like, they've been there before. That's what I'm noticing, too. I'm noticing, even in football, I'm sure you know, it's a lot of younger guys are starting right away. There's no two, three, four-year jump. Some players are a development period, but I think the training, the, the science, the level of play is much more advanced now that people from college can start right away and dominate. Yeah, it's the advancement of uh, sports technology and sports medicine. And I, I've seen it even, you know, going through my own athletic process in my own athletic life, just like stuff that was available to me then and then stuff that are created for young athletes now. And it's like, it's crazy. Man, <clears throat> like for instance, uh, the Vertimax, like, uh, that wasn't something, well, that wasn't something that, you know, I had introduced to me, like, let's say at 10, 11 years old. Yeah. I didn't, the Invertimax wasn't until like, I was in my late teens getting that type of stuff. And even like other uh, devices and contraptions are getting even more like, crazy nowadays too for like, you know, these kids to access. But I wish I had to access like cryogenic chambers. Yeah. And, uh, What's the other one? Oh, there's that machine. I forgot what it's called, but it goes on your legs. Oh, yeah. And uh, it pushes the blood oh, back to yeah. your heart. It pushes right back to your body. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> I'm like, where was this when I was a kid? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, that, I think they didn't even exist. All, all the coaches did is like, you lifted weights and you like you crushed heads. So I think now you can't you can't hit with your head. But yeah. I played uh, live in high school, so I was yeah, a bigger yeah. boy. And, yeah. And I don't think I was that big. I think I was 220. I was playing guard. Yeah. And yeah, every time, you, every single down, you basically butt heads with the defensive lineman. Yeah. And I probably had a concussion or two, but didn't realize it. But yeah, it is crazy. But you have a lot of adrenaline going. <laughs> yeah. No, I loved. I loved getting you know contact and playing football. Man, I loved for that. Like it was that. What position did you play? Uh, I played uh, running back in high school. And I played cornerback, uh, you know, like I love playing defense. It was fun, you know, uh, you know, tackling guys. <laughs> like, you know, I enjoyed more hitting than getting hit, you know, but I also like kind of being elusive and like, ah, you can't catch me yeah. playing running back. So that was kind of the fun side about it too. But then you're like, yo, these big guys coming at me, gonna truck me over. 
Like, <laughs> you know, like I, I ain't trying to look forward to that. So, yeah, man, it's kind of interesting, you know, playing both sides of the ball. Yeah. You know? And it gives you, like, more of a perspective of the game, too, I find when you're playing both sides of the ball because, you know, you get to see what the defense sees and you get to see what the offense sees. And, yeah. I, and depending on what side you play, you can actually break down even further what's going on in front of you. As compared to like you know, like let's say you know formations or sets or whatever the case yeah. is, like just being receiver versus being receiver and being like a quarterback and understanding both sides of the game and how yeah offense thinks and then how defense thinks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think I played the end a little bit in high school. Mm-hmm. I like guard. I know we did a lot of bootlegs, so I did a lot of pulling and yeah, smashing yeah. the D. That was fun. <laughs> Crack! Yeah. And then I remember, because uh, my good friend at the time, uh, his name was Michael Melnick. He was a running back. He was just a fucking quick little kid. Mm-hmm. We had some pretty good running backs. And then uh, my, yeah. my, yeah, my first year, grade 10, mm-hmm. my our quarterback, Zim, um, he was basically like a Chapman guy. Yeah. Like we're, we're in tier one. We're a decent team. Yeah. We have a lot of talent, but I don't think we're. I think we we're a middle team, like we yeah. and then, but he would like just bootleg and run down the field. I'm pretty sure he made the Eskimos practice squad. Nice. But now he's playing soccer in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. So just a freak athlete. Crazy. And beast. And then we had a lot of bootlegs, and but now uh, afterwards I transitioned mm. um, to receiver when we played together. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I like receiver. And then um, Jordan was talking, uh, we're. Uh, so we played football, uh, we went to play catch a little bit, and yeah. he suggested maybe I play, uh, I think it's tailback, so almost like yeah. a fullback position. Mm. And so maybe he's trying to convince me to play football again, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, like, the payoff is not as good, like, if you get just massive concussion, you still gotta go work, right? And yeah. I went, we went, me and Jordan ran, ran routes. Mm-hmm. The next day, I felt like yes. all yeah. growing, everything hurts. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely maintenance, especially, you know, you're not getting any younger. You know, maintenance is key in terms of, you know, keeping up with fitness, keeping fluid, you know, uh, being healthy, stuff like that. We got a little more serious because, yeah, we can get up and go still, but, you know, it's more like you're going to definitely feel it more in the morning compared to when you're younger. It's like... Yeah, I got this. And then, you know, you get up and say, yeah, this is nothing. And then, you know, you didn't feel the effects of it quite as much. Oh, 100%. And then I understand why people say you have to stretch. Because, again, when you're younger, don't really, I don't think you stretch that much. No, you go running, exactly. you don't get hurt. But then you get older, you just even, like, start running a little bit, you don't stretch, and all of a sudden you're, like, pulled quad or a little hamstring yeah. issue. Exactly. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but, but it's, it's worth it got to hear yourself. Yeah, most definitely, a thousand percent. Yeah. So, so what are you? What are you up to nowadays? Me, man, I'm just I'm just working. Um, you know, traveling, going across the country, just trying to you know see different things. Uh, you know, bringing my camera with me. Where'd you start? Did you just go to like one province at a time, or just go like cross country tour? Uh I kind of had to look up like kind of where I could go in terms of. Uh, COVID, because I wasn't trying to obviously quarantine. So, you know, just kind of bouncing around and then kind of see what I can see in terms of like, you know, attractions and, uh, you know, uh, things in, in nature. Because I love nature, like, I like being out in nature, especially by bodies of water you know, out in the mountains. That's my thing right there. So, uh, you know, just kind of seeing, because like Canada is wicked, like, 
you know, uh, in terms of uh, all the things you can see, uh, all the attractions, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy. And then like just being in different types of different parts of the country, it's like different lifestyles. Like the Maritimes is like way <laughs> different from like here compared to like, you know, oh, out west here, you know. The Maritimes is so laid back. <laughs> oh man, so friendly. Yeah, man, I lived out there for a year. I went to school. Where did you live? I lived in New Brunswick. Yeah, man. So I Moncton, or? yeah, I lived in Moncton and uh, Miramichi. Yeah, man. Uh, Miramichi was pretty wicked too. Like, it, actually, I'll tell you a fascinating fact. Miramichi, New Brunswick, is the uh, Irish capital of Canada. Really? Yes. Wow. True story. Uh, yeah, man. It's a uh, it's a cool little town. It's about a thousand people in Miramichi. Um, but man, like, it, honestly, like it was culture shock. Cause like, you know, I grew up in Toronto and Oh man, there's millions. <laughs> yeah, 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 but almost close to three million people and it's kind of cultural hub of like, so many different people, yeah, exactly. groups and theater and Yeah, and all that. And then you're shrunk to this little small country. <laughs> it's like, whoa, and you know, yeah. uh driving to town to get things. Yeah, and and you know, um being a visible minority and all that stuff, like you know, it was like it was quite the uh, adjustment, but like you know, I I love that I did it. It was yeah. fun being out there, you know, and and you know, uh, people out there they don't see you any different, you know, like people were like you know fascinated because like you're from the big city, what are you doing out here? <laughs> so, like, you know, it's like uh, you know I'm going to school, you know, doing my thing, and you know, uh, yeah, like a lot of people kind of commended me because of like. You know, it's, it kind of takes some guts for you to just kind of come out of a big city and just integrate yourself in a small city. You have no business being here. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't mind. Like, you know, and, you know, living in a small town, it, it made me really appreciate uh, small towns in Canada and small towns, you know, all over, you know, and just that's getting to know that small town mentality. And then also, you know, I kind of got reverse double shot because when I moved out here from out there, it was all like, I, I got used to, you know, that small town yeah. life. And then I came out back to the big city and, uh, you know, I've never been to Edmonton before. It was like, oh, so this is how it feels like. like oh, man. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, like, there's just like, everything's going around and you're like, you're, you're trying to take everything in and everything's like, yeah, and it's like, you know, and it, it, it felt really surreal because it's like, you know, because I grew up and I was used to it. You know, and then you kind of get yourself integrated to something else and getting yourself reintegrated into it. It was just like, whoa, like it was just kind of like mind bending. Oh man, 100%. I lived one year in Nova Scotia in uh, Centerville. Okay, yeah. uh, Basically by Kentville. And I went to school in a little town called Wolfville. Yeah, yeah. I went to Katie University. Sick. Small town by the river was beautiful. And and I absolutely loved it. It was a small, I think the, Yeah. yeah, I think. Maybe a few thousand people as well. I volunteered for the search and rescue. Yeah, yeah. So I lived with my uh, my best friend's family, my best friend, and yeah, and, and me, him, and his father. We volunteered for the search and rescue. Yeah, we did one search. Um, it was uh, unfortunately a homeless person was burnt alive in a bus shelter. Whoa! So we did an evidence search for the RCMP. Yeah, yeah. And when we got the call, so my friend right at the house, um, I had a little Ford Fiesta. And yeah, yeah. Called a little mountain, basically called for a hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And packed the bags, threw in the car. We're going like 80, 80 kilometers down the hill, just going, zooming by. And yeah. 
picked up the picked up his dad. He's like, so yeah, guys, like you're you're going to their town right now. We're just so excited for the call. And yeah, it's unfortunate of what happened to the person. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, that was a fun time. But yeah, uh, we had uh, horses on the property where we lived. Some chickens. Huh. Um, I helped a chicken lay an egg. Yeah, right. so it got stuck in its uh, duct in the winter time, huh. so I had to take like a hot wet cloth and yeah, massage yeah. it, and unfortunately the chicken died later oh, on. Man. So that was my first and last time I was a vet. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do it anymore. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, uh, uh, they they raised the pig, so yeah. I kind of kind of helped raise the pig, and mm. the pig is still alive today, which is nice. All right. I absolutely love the lifestyle out there, and I think yeah. I'll either want a, um, a vacation property or no doubt. definitely a home out there somewhere because it's so laid back. The people yeah. are so friendly. It's it's beautiful in the summertime. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm Bathurst in Brunswick. Actually, like there's this cool little wicked little spots called the Marina. And it's like right on the uh, right on the river, uh, and right on the Miramichi River, and. Uh, yeah, man, it's cool because it just kind of overlooks like uh, this kind of center island, and you have all these like docked boats, and then that kind of has like this uh, <clears throat> uh, area, and it has a bar and like a stage, and yeah, man, it's just, it's just nice in the summertime, man. There's a lot of jams. We used to go to a lot of jams out there, like when I was in school, man. It was wicked. Yeah, man, it's pretty crazy. Like I, I actually traveled a lot around like the the East Coast when I was out there. Like I I went out to to Halifax. Uh, to Dartmouth, right across the bridge, Beatox mm-hmm. Tiro. It actually, if you ever go back to uh, Nova Scotia and you go to uh, Tiro, yeah. you gotta go to this place that's called Murphy's Fish and Chips. Murphy's Fish and Chips. Yo, honestly, I'll put it up like, I'll put it, I'll probably put it out there as like one of the best fish and chips in Canada. I'll put it on record. It's on record. We're recording, it's going on record. <laughs> like, honestly, like, man, it, it fire. Like, it's amazing. Like, I, I honestly, like, like melt in your mouth, like goodness, like yeah. my gosh. <laughs> yeah, oh man, my, my cousin, he's a fisherman. Yeah. He fishes all year round, so he catches everything. And when I lived up there, my father came to visit. Yeah. He was around either Thanksgiving or something. And we went to visit them in Picto. That's where my father's from. Yeah. Nova Scotia. And my uncle had uh, lobsters I caught the day before huh. for my cousin. So yeah. fresh lobsters, fresh lobsters, yes. cooked oh. it, delicious. Lobster all for the seafood. All yeah. oh, for it. That's yeah. That's, that's why I don't. That's why I don't eat too too much seafood in Alberta, just because I know like how long has it been traveling for? Where yeah, like, for on the sure. coast you can just get a nice piece of fish, nice piece of whatever. Yeah, look at all the BC's in that store. It's right yeah. to the left, you know. How's <laughs> yeah. BC compared to? What's BC like compared to the East Coast? Uh, I would say like BC would be like the California of Canada. If I had to compare it to to like the Maritimes, it's it you know it's uh laid back, old school, you know, take your shirt off your back, yeah. white you know blue collar you know type of uh, mentality out in, in the Maritimes. That's how they roll, you know, and and a lot of them, you know, they, they love their sea, they love their seafood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um lifestyle's different. Like things are just different slow pace. Like, you know, uh you are not like stuffing like traffic jams or you don't have nothing. Everything's so. closed on Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> even even the holidays like hey, some small towns on Boxing Day nothing's open. Yeah, so. that was that was like something for me. Like that, that blew me out the way I was like, what the hell? Like the the only thing I, if you're in the Maritimes, probably the only thing you know that are open on Sundays 
his church and Tim Hortons for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A thousand percent because like well, there's yeah. always a lot of Timmy's in the Maritimes. Yeah, no Timmy's in the Maritimes. That's like the social hub for yeah. sure. Like or the or the local corner store, all the all the old men meet on Saturdays, mm-hmm. or like one of the gas stations. Yeah. Probably always a local gas station too, where other guys would probably pull up with their old school cars or whatever. And yeah, hang out, you know, chop it up for the day mm-hmm. on a Saturday, and a nice sunny day. Yeah, man. Yeah, and it's pretty interesting. And uh, like, I think some people do their open uh, American store, but I think some people just feel like this home is home. They just like being where they're at. And, yeah. But yeah, you said uh, BC is like, or is like more Vancouver, like the California, like more, yeah, more uh, high end. Well, Vancouver, you know, it'd be like you'd be like LA, you know, in terms of like the lifestyle. They do, you know, call it Hollywood North, and you know, if you're out there, you can actually see why it's called Hollywood North, you know, in terms of uh, lifestyle, how people live, you know, kind of the culture, you know, laid back, no stress, like type of uh, attitude that kind of goes on out there, you know, cause yeah, especially with COVID going on, you know, uh, the beach, that was the thing. Like that was like the big, big social hub where everyone kind of went and, and was doing their thing. You know, and kind of socialize because you know a lot of things are closed. So that's kind of how people had their reprieve in terms of going out, yeah. going to the beach. So, um, but yeah, like because I've been to been to uh, Vancouver, been to Golden. Golden's pretty nice little town. Um, been to Bailmount, uh, Kamloops, been to. Uh, Kelowna. Kelowna. I haven't been to Kelowna yet. I want to go to Kelowna. So nice. Yeah, man. Uh, definitely want to go check out Penticton. I've heard a lot of good things yeah. about Penticton, too. Yeah. Oh, man. So, uh, so well, I'm sorry to put you off there right now. I have a story. Uh, so, my, one of my good buddies, uh, uh, when I moved back to Nova Scotia, yeah. I was working for my father and uh, decided uh, impromptu vacation. So, my dad, I didn't tell my dad I was taking vacation. Yeah. He's the boss, so I definitely got a good uh, tongue lash when I came back. <laughs> it was worth that time. Uh, shout, shout out to my dad for uh, not firing me and being, yeah. being a good dad. And, uh, but yeah, so my brother, my brother, I know my friend was going to Kelowna with his brother, and I'm like, yeah, I'll come. And, and then while we're in Kelowna, we're like, let's go see if we can go to the States. Yeah. Like, well, we don't have our passports, but let's just drive to the border and just see what happens. And then, yeah. So we're at the bridge waiting, but the guy's like, hey, we're like, hey, you want to go to the States? Just drive, whatever, just go see, yeah. just go see what's up. And then, and then, so me and my friend, we only had our driver's licenses from yeah. Alberta, and his little brother had no identification. <laughs> and they let us in. The States wow. never let us in. <laughs> Wow. Was that 2013, 2014? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, so the States, and then, and then, yeah, I think just a small town, first small town went there, went to McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. And then came back, and then when we came back to the Canadians, right, mm-hmm. trying to attend, uh, they're like, uh, passports, we're like, even our, we're going, we're having each other car's licenses. <laughs> he doesn't have anything. Yeah. And then they're like, what? Like, yeah, well, we, they let us in. And, Sorry, well, I think the Canadians went over to the Americans just probably tore them one just because they let us in. So we could have probably exchanged his brother for any other kid because he had no ID. And, but yeah, man, it's crazy. I wonder if we can still do that. Probably not now. No, 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 no. Um, no, I remember like, uh, 
me and my family, we used to go to uh, Niagara Falls like uh, every summer at one point. There's one funny story, actually, I'll tell you. Uh, so when you're driving through the border at Niagara, they, uh, they do a full car search, so they get the dog to sniff out everything. <clears throat> you know, they keep your tires, all yeah. that stuff. So uh, what you gonna call it? So we get back in the car because they felt well once they uh, told us it was okay to get back in the car and everything and the guy's just kind of doing one last wrap around with the dog and uh, he opens because my mom she had a, a Plymouth Voyager, an old school Plymouth Voyager. I think she had like a 94 Plymouth Voyager if I remember. It was like a burgundy one. And uh, so had the one side door. So he's pulling the one side door just to do like a final inspection just mm -hmm. to make sure everything's okay. And I guess the dog put its two paws up and was about to enter the vehicle. My mom freaked out and she just pressed the gas with her right through the border. And, and then me and my little sister were like pulling onto his seat like, yo, mom, what the hell? <laughs> and we're looking back and we're like, looking like, thinking like these cops are gonna probably come after us. Like they're, they're thinking, she just trying to make a break for it. Like, yeah. like, like <laughs> and uh, yeah, next thing you know, we're looking back, but they actually didn't even chase us. They just let uh -huh. drive, like, drive through. Because, well, I mean, we didn't have anything. And I mean, the guy was doing one last lap around anyway. So, I, I, you know, I don't think he felt there was any need. But, like, I just found it funny because it was just the timing of it. Like, literally, as he's, like, opening the door, it was, or was about to, like, close the door, my mom's like, <laughs> it was like, oh my god. <laughs> like, it was, I was like, yeah, man. Something like you see in like a movie, like, yeah, dressed up in the car. <laughs> it was like, dude. Or security is very interesting. It's one of the most stressful, I think, either jobs probably, but also driving for borders is so stressful. Yeah. Just, uh, we went, I drove to Vegas once <laughs> with a couple, couple friends, and it was about a 24 hour drive. Yeah. Pretty nice right actually. We drive through Utah and drink nice. beer in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we're going through, obviously reach the border. Uh, and uh, and the board, we're like, hey, where are you going? We're going to Vegas. I'm going for work convention, this and that. I'm like, how much money we got? We're like, we didn't bring much money at the time. I think we were like 1500 each for the week. But yeah. We're budgeting that, that time. And he's like, well, that's not enough to gamble. And yeah. He's like trying to crack a joke. And we're like, huh. Uh, like, what were you supposed to do? Like, laugh or not laugh? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I laugh too. But yeah, man, it's just so stressful. It's like, you don't know what they can pull on you, what they're going to do, or yeah, what they can do. And yeah, for sure. Nah, they're just as bad at the airports, too. Yeah. Oh, these guys bully at the airport sometimes. Really? My God. What? Man, I remember uh, one time uh, we were coming back home from, uh, I believe, England. We're flying back home. And, uh, so, so leaving, you're leaving England. So we're leaving, we're coming back into the country. So these uh, these guys, you know, tell me to, you know, take off my shoes. This is in uh, London. No, no, no. This was here in Canada. Okay. These guys told me to take off okay. my shoes, and I was all like, okay. And I was like, I was like uh, 19 at the time. I remember and. Uh, I think it was like 19, 18 at the time. And yeah, these guys tell me to take off the shoes and I'm putting it through uh, this detective. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, like, you know, but I didn't think anything of it, but like, I get it because, you know, obviously people can put bombs in their shoes or, or whatever contraptions to make whatever. So I okay. that, so whatever. So I get, I you know, I put back on my shoes and then I go through that, that uh, 
you know that air chamber machine yeah. where you go and it blows air all over your yeah. limbs? Yeah, it's whatever. So I I do that. So I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. I'm thinking I'm done. Then they're like, sir, over here. Oh I'm like, oh my God, I'm serious? <laughs> so these guys start bringing the wand on me and start like, you know, and I, I think I'm like, come on now, like, is this really necessary? Like, I am a Canadian citizen. I'm not like, you know, I'm not like a drug dealer here. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have drug dealer written on my face or something. Like, you know, I understand that they're having searches. And I'm sorry, like, man, God, like, this is kind of over excessive. Like, you know? Yeah. But I get it. You know, they got to do their job. You know, I, I don't really, I don't come, you know, I comply. I don't, uh, I'm not abrasive or any which way. You know, whatever gets me out fast, man. Yeah. I'm trying to just get to where I'm going. Like, do what you gotta do. I'm, my mentality is to do what you gotta do. You, you know, I don't like this as much as you don't like this. Yeah. So let's just cooperate so we can keep it moving. So that's how I just kind of approach it. Oh, man, yeah. You know, I, yeah, because it's like, you know, I don't get people who, who kind of, at the same time, you know, as much as they kind of give you hassle, I hate also to be like when people give them hassle and it's like, and you see them and you know they're just trying to do their job and it's something just very minor. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, like, take out your laptop battery, you know, let's say that. And then you're like, it's like, man, just, can you just please just take out the battery? Yeah, so four o'clock like, in the morning. Yeah, like you have like, 30, 40 people waiting behind you, trying to get through, making sure to catch the flight on time. You know, especially if you're like, say you're in a big airport that's like, like Pearson, where yeah. like, you know, your flight could be all the way on the other side of the terminal, you know, and security's on the one part, part you know, it's like, come yeah, on, man. Everyone, like, everyone wants to make sure, that doesn't hold the line, so they rush and put their stuff in the, and get that yeah. like four different cards. And, and everyone's a little bit on edge because like, you could be randomly selected or mm-hmm. your bag be flagged for something in your bag. And, and it, oh man, it's crazy. Yeah. Me, like, I'm never on edge about getting searched because, like, you know, I have no reason to get searched. It's not like I'm doing anything illegal when I'm five mm-hmm. or whatever, like, you know, but yeah, like, for obviously, for those people who are, I can, I can definitely get that. Like, you know, how intense that would probably You know, it's like, oh man, like, you know, like, freaking, if they're trying to smuggle something. I remember watching uh, a border shows, like, uh, it was cool, like it was in the Vancouver airport. Man, they get a lot of interesting things in the Vancouver airport. Cause they get international. Yeah, they get international. So, um, what you call it? I remember I was watching an episode and uh, there's a guy who brought a bunch of uh, picture frames. <clears throat> so the guy's kind of hassling him about these picture frames. So they had a bunch of picture frames, but they had no pictures in them or whatever. So in my head, I'm like, why is this guy jocking this guy about picture frames? This is picture frame. Like, what? I don't see any. I mean, I said he bought some picture frames. Maybe he has some photos at home, and you know, he wanted this was some nice frames. He, you know, had to, to you know, put the pictures in. That's yeah. what my mind was thinking. You know, anyways, but I was like, you know, come over here, sir. <clears throat> so you know, they take one of the things and they kind of like wipe it down or whatever, and then uh, they put it through the. Uh, Black light. Yeah. And next thing you know, you see like this residue on it. And it's like, no. (laughs) 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 And next thing you know, like you see the guy and he kind of picks up the picture frame and he lightly kind of takes a corner of the frame and he kind of like knocks it just a bit to kind of 
break the thing. Cause you yeah. know, like kind of those like key frames, you know, like you see where it's plastered yeah. together. So you kind of knock that to break it. And next thing you know, you, like you breaks it. You see this little baggie and it's hollowed, like part of the frame come out the freaking thing. I'm like, no wow. way in hell. I like, honestly, how some people smuggle drugs is better. Like watching the shows, how some people smuggle drugs like is like wow, a for effort. Like that is like wow. Well, yeah, the technology is so good now, and yeah, the tests they have and methods. Um, I remember there's another one at uh, Pearson Airport. Uh, these guys were doing it. Um, this is not a show you're watching, or this is live. Really no, quick. this was like on the news. Actually, like live on the news, it was um, these guys. Uh, were smuggling cocaine in uh, pistons. Yeah, so because they're, they're getting all these pistons delivered, and then I guess one day, like, you know, the uh, border guys or whatever, the uh, mail guys, they, they intercepted the package, and they're like, well, these are pistons, but why are these kind of light for, for pistons? And I guess what these guys did is with the pistons, uh, what they did at the top of the piston, uh, was just the heaviest part. Yeah. They hollowed it out and made it a cat, and they stuffed like the the kilos in the in the top. And yeah, and I was like, what? <laughs> I was mind blown. I was like, wow, you guys are getting inventive. Like yeah. holy, like it's crazy how these guys are just getting all inventive about how they're smuggling drugs. It's like my gosh. <laughs> If there's a will, there's a way. They will, right. they will do anything, especially not the drug trade, to get their product into oh, any kind of sure. get distributed. And, and I could imagine what it must be like on the Mexican-U.S. border, the amount of drugs that pass through there. Man. There, there are tunnels and there Who knows, man? Yeah, it's crazy. And I heard, uh, yeah, just the cartel, they're massive and they're, they're like basically a... Uh, a full operation, like a legit operation with like military vehicles and weapons and... I, I believe, like, you know, um, you know, I, I feel that money influences power, you know, and these guys obviously have money through, that they generated through, you know, um, the, their trade, you know, and they have influence because like, you know, every, like my saying goes, you know, everyone has their price. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, that's how I feel it is. I mean, obviously, there's certain things you can't sell. Mm-hmm. You know, like your soul and and things like oh, you can, but that's yeah. a different story, a different state. But you know, like you know, I feel like you, you know, not to sell your soul. There's certain things like morals, values. You know what I'm saying? But like you know, in terms of other things, obviously, yeah, people got a price. I feel that. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. And sometimes I'm thinking, well, I'm not sure what it would be like to live, actually live in Mexico, but sometimes people have no choice but to sell product or sell certain things because they're, they're forced to. And yeah. So it's crazy. You know, it, you know, certain certain countries like Colombia, you know, it's, it's a means to survive, you know, or in other countries. And I'm not just, you know, not just Colombia, a lot of countries where like, you know, certain drugs are, are prominent. Mm-hmm. You know, like you look at farmers, like I remember watching a documentary like in Colombia, like, you know, drug cartels were paying farmers and the farmers were obviously taking money because a lot of these farmers were impoverished. Yeah. They didn't have money and they're like, yo, we actually have a means to survive. So these guys are planting these plants for these guys, yeah. <laughs> willingly, knowing they're good. It, it was kind of like a catch 22 is like, you know, they're 
these cartels were causing destruction in one way, but creating economical boost in another. Yeah. It's very weird. He's so like, what do you do, right? Like right? If yeah. If the government is providing any other ways of people to uh, to make an income or proper income to live. And yeah, I, mean, I could imagine what it must be like. Cause then, yeah. And also I think I imagine sometimes is is like, hey, like, like they'll like, maybe something, they'll burn the crops, I imagine with themselves, yeah. they'll come by like, hey, we'll protect you. Nah. And then, in reverse, you I do this for us, and it's a trade-off, and then you're indebted. Yeah, it's true. And then, and then also, I think also like corruption as well with the police, and sure, you know, I feel that you know, illegal drugs are only illegal because the government can't make a profit off it, and they don't know how to make a profit off it. Like, look how long it took for weed to be legalized. You know what I mean? And and because it's not because you know weed was out there killing mass amounts of people or, you, you know, causing, you know, uh, ill effects in people or whatever, you know, <clears throat> not to the rate of, let's say, harder drugs like, let's say, cocaine or meth or, you know, and yeah, the, these guys just, they didn't know how to create it in, in such a way for them to, to make and generate money because like exactly. you can compare it to cigarettes. Cigarettes, you know, it's proven with the carcinogenics and the chemicals that are in cigarettes, you know they it kills people and it's proven it kills people, but the government makes millions, billions of dollars off of this. Oh yeah. Same thing with alcohol. You know, alcohol, you know, is out there people, you know, uh, in terms of um, you know, people drinking and driving or people having an addiction to alcohol. Again. It's a million, million dollar industry, you know, and obviously why aren't these things that are known killing people illegal? Because obviously the more come up, the guys make a profit on it. Exactly. What you're saying is like, why? It's the same thing, like, you know, historically speaking, if you compare it to um, England and the uh, opium trade to China, you know, um, basically England basically drug China. In the in the 1600s, yeah. you know, um, and because uh, China, they they had a lot of resources compared to England, you know, and one of the few resources that England had to trade was opium, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, when people started getting addicted to it, you know, uh, you know, became a, a very uh, flourishing trade at one point, and then you know. Um, Chinese, there was a couple of Chinese emperors that tried to put a stop to it. There's a couple of opium wars that broke out because of it. And, uh, you know, there's illegal smugglers that were still um, bringing in uh, product. Even like Hong Kong was involved because not a lot of people know, or well, they do know the geography that uh, Hong Kong for the time being is a British colony. And what smugglers would do, what Chinese smugglers would do, because they're making obviously they had their hand in the trade too, wasn't just the British, is they would mask their boats as British fleets and go to Hong Kong and then go from Hong Kong to China. Well <laughs> you know to supply opium. Yeah, it's crazy when the, when I was finding this out, I'm like, man, this is this is fucked up. Like what the hell's going on? Like this is this is, it was mind-blowing to me, like, you know, that such a thing could occur. And then, you know, you compare it to modern times with, like, you know, cigarettes and alcohol, the same thing is going on. You know, people are getting supplied, people are addicted to these things, but 
it's it's too much of a generation of revenue for the country for them to, to take it away and say like nah this is what exactly. it's you know <laughs> exactly and uh yeah drug trades i think have been going on for a long time yeah long sure. time, man. and yeah it's, it's interesting that you know i'm i'm happy that uh, marijuana is legal for sure but in some aspects they kind of made the laws a bit more like restricted in terms of like being caught with non-government products right. and random random drug tests and they pull you over all that stuff things I think the penalty is harsher as well, I've heard as well. Yeah, if you actually look at the rules and regulations and laws and bylaws that they have instituted with the legalization of marijuana, marijuana now is probably more illegal than it was when it was. If you really look at the fine print, <laughs> how they jiggled it, you know what I mean? Like. They they manipulate it in a way where they know they can give you harsh penalties and they and they're forcing you back. So like as much as you can be open about it, you still have to be secretive. You still have to move a certain way about it because you can't be you know as open as you, as you think. Yeah. You know, in terms of like let's say in uh, recreational smoking, like <clears throat> you know how people smoke cigarettes in public and stuff like that. They feel those because you know they still treat. Marijuana, like, Still as, a if, like as, as if it's an alcoholic, if you're drinking and driving, you know, and you know, it. I, you know, had read studies, like, you know, I there hasn't really been obviously a lot of marijuana related deaths compared to like, you know, alcohol related deaths, you know, so why should it be, you know, treated as such? But that's just something that I'm holding, that's just my own personal yeah. opinion, you know, but uh. Yeah, that's just how I feel about it. I think, I think just, I think because um, some people um, like alcohol, they can't, it doesn't take to them. Like for example, uh, a, a friend of mine, he cannot have, I think even more than a puff before he greens out. Yeah. And so, so if he say, for example, has a puff while he's driving, yeah. well, that's not gonna end well, right? So of course, I think maybe just maybe for safer reasons, he wanted to, they don't want people to have, uh, have a little mar- some some weed, uh, smoke marijuana, and then drive because things. Yeah, some of those get super, I think, super big and just anything. Which I think it, you should like. I think you should just know, for example, like what your tolerance is and yes. how you deal with it. If some people, for example, you just can't smoke weed inside your thing and yeah. just don't do it. And same thing with alcohol. Some people have one drink and they black out. Yeah, and some people can. Um, some some old like the old guys they can just drink whiskey like through the whole day mm-hmm. and then um, wake up the next thing no problem do it again so it's uh, just yeah. depends who you are yeah there's a lot of validity in in what you say you know and you make a very uh, valid point you know it, definitely what it boils down to I feel yeah like you said um, aforementioned um, it's about your tolerance and knowing your tolerance and knowing your levels and, and respecting it as, as such you know if you know you're at in a certain condition or a certain state you know um you should be cautious enough to know you know to make a proper decision you know and and not put yourself in, in such a risk or yourself in such a situation you know or others in such a situation you know depending on the turnout um so uh, 
like, yeah, like, obviously, I'm not, you know, trying to, you know, promote impaired driving or anything like that. I'm not saying to drive or anything like that or drink drive or anything like that. No, I'm not, you know, that's not what I'm promoting here. Um, I, I'm just more just saying, you know, uh, more just trying to speak in the point of how, you know, one should be treated compared to the other, not in terms of, um, how you know it affects people. Okay, fair. Yeah. So you think uh, marijuana should always be treated like cigarettes? Yeah, that's how I feel. It it should be treated, but you know, obviously. Yeah, because cigarettes do give you a rush. Yeah. No. Uh, they 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 give you a head rush. Like I, I've tried smoking cigarettes. Some people do smoke and drive all the time. Yeah. So it know. is interesting. Like you know what I'm saying? Because it's like if I can't smoke, exactly. If I can't smoke a spliff. And, and drive, and it's illegal for me to do that. Why is it the same thing? Or why do people who smoke cigarettes get the same bypass? It should be treated as the same thing. You know what I mean? But it, it's kind of it's not. You know, there's kind of a catch twenty two. Like you know what I'm saying? But uh, like I said, they, I I think you know um, in terms of how they've treated marijuana, I, I think. How they put apply the penalties is kind of a makeup for um, revenue. That's how I look at it, you know, compared to like, because you know, obviously, cigarettes are a billion dollar industry. Yeah. And, you know, uh, marijuana, you know, it's slowly creeping up and, and building up as an as a industry itself, you know, because. I think, I, I think at one point there was a shortage of uh, marijuana in stores at the beginning. You know that's funny because uh, it's like uh, my mom watches the news yeah. and she I think she watched yeah, the world news whatever I forget what channel or what mm. uh, whatever news channel has it but it's showing the news and it's like you know like this this country like this there's like bombings or shootings in this country this happened and states this happened and it's like in Canada there's a bleach shortage and that was like our biggest problem at the time. You want to know? Here's what I okay. So the government, because obviously they have partnerships and deals with um, different companies. Yeah. Obviously, so what you buy in dispensaries and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, but you know how I feel they should have addressed the shortage is they should have gave a chance to the small guys, the independents. You know, the independent growers is like, hey, we have a shortage, and it's like, you know, and obviously, I feel that in Canada, there's way too much of a supply to not have weed. Yeah. There's no way you're telling me, no, the government is, is fraudulent. I think it's yeah. You know, like, because there's, there's tons of weed before weed became legal. That's just, I'm just telling it like it is, you know, and I feel that, you know, the government. And they still could be making profit, but still helping out the little guys and, and building an economy that way. They can almost have you know, like a, some sort of license or regulation yeah. so they can have because, a proper process or a proper regulation. Yeah, because like before, the only way you could be an independent grower is if you're growing um, medical marijuana. Yeah. And they had certain limitations to that. Like, um, you can only, if you're an independent marijuana grower at one point when weed was illegal, you can have 28 plants at maximum in in your uh, house or grow up or wherever you're growing it. Uh, and, you know, they would do obviously inspections and stuff like that. 
But obviously, you know, people uh, abuse these uh, things, you know, and uh, <laughs> you have mega plants that have like 200 plants, 300 plants, yeah. and you know, and it's like, whatever, it's like, what the hell? I believe you're on two plants max. Yeah. That's what I'm believing on. So at least, at least, at least that's a bonus. At least you're going to have a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I, I just feel that, you know, it's just not as bad as the states where it's still in some states where like class one or class two, like drug, where it's like something yeah. worse than cocaine considered, or that's nuts. But even that's another thing. If you bring up the states, like, I feel that, you know, if, if you didn't want to supply, let's say, create independence for, for the little guys going weed here, why didn't you outsource to the states where, like, you know, where weed is legal, like let's say like Colorado or oh, California, why didn't you outsource there and get your weed from there? That's where I, that's where my mind goes. And like, if you have, if you know your next cat, you know. You ever, you ever been to a dispensary in the States? Yeah. That is yeah. crazy. Some of the, some of the percentages they have and some of the, they have pre-rolled blunts and also like upwards of 30%. Yeah, man. Crazy. I seen this thing, it was called a moon rock. Yo, it's crazy. It's like uh it's like a a, a, a fat nug is coated in like resin and like it had like honey and it was like I guess like there was more resin pressed in the middle and break it. It almost looked like uh it looked like uh how do I explain it? It looked like a marijuana version of a Hershey Kiss and uh, like, like with a goo in the middle. Okay. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. You break it up and you gotta like, yeah, it runs around. It's like, and it's crazy. It reeks. Like just opening that thing, you feel like you, you like hot box the car. Like, you, yeah, like, he's like, it's a whole weed. I was like, my God, this stuff stinks. <laughs> but yo, I got it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna smoke oh, this. Like, speaking of that, it reminds me of uh, kind of almost. <laughs> Reminds me of a uh, time where like because uh, sometimes I like, eat healthy and no one eat like, like eat junk food. Yeah. Uh, there was one time at the airport. <clears throat> I'm like, you know, it'll be good for a snack on the plane is um some hard boiled eggs. <laughs> so I bought a pack. You can get those hard boiled eggs in, like pack of two. Oh yeah. So I bought one. I'm like, yeah, eggs are delicious. I like eggs. Yeah. And never thought about it. So then in, in, in on the plane. Headphones on, watch my movie, and then I have a. Uh, I had, definitely had a lady, lady beside me. Yeah. And I forget who was beside her, but then so I uh, opened my eggs to eat it, and all of a sudden I see her face beside me, just oh. And then I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, because I just totally forgot. And then yeah. She gets up, and I just like stuff those eggs on off really quickly. Yeah. And oh man, I'm so embarrassed. I never thought I was opening a pack of cooked eggs in a plane and a. Sealed container just yeah because of the cabin pressure and uh, <laughs> oh, everything yeah, I don't know smell yeah no <laughs> drinking alcohol on the plane man how how metabolizes with you like when you're in the air my god <laughs> like those little like cocktail drinks you yeah. can get like two three of those man you're done yeah. <laughs> like I, I remember like I was on a flight and I drank like a few of them and, yeah uh, I thought like whatever like because if, if you drink it while you're if you're not on a plane that's nothing that's not going to really phase you if, if you have a pretty decent drinking tolerance yeah you know but <clears throat> yeah in a plane those things you might as well be two sixes <laughs> like like oh man like I just remember the first time because like, yeah I drank like two or three and I just remember like I got to wash it and it was like and I was like 
oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm, I remember sitting in my seat and flying back. I'm like, yo, this is gonna be a long flight. <laughs> home, man. You ever been to um, Rogers Place or uh, the new uh, Ro- Ro- yeah, Ro- new Rogers Place? Yeah, I've been to Rogers. Place. I, those beers. I'm not sure what they put in those, but they're. Oh no, it's it's a beer. It tastes like beer, but as far as like vodka, like the percentage, you have two or three of those, you're done. Yeah, I think it's the way that it, it, it's pressurized or whatever. No wonder people like get rowdy at hockey games. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I, I wish we could watch hockey, especially with the playoffs and stuff like that. That'd be wicked, man. Yeah, like, great job, that. Too. Yeah, man. And uh, from what I heard and was reading, uh, they're having the World Juniors here too. Really? Uh, I guess this is going to be the World Junior. Help. We're going to have a percentage of fans on in. Cause I know in the NFL currently they have uh, in some stadiums a uh, certain percentage of people on in. Yeah. I think that'd be cool, like, you know, just kind of like do a You can definitely do that in the Rogers place. Yeah, they do an upper deck thing. Yeah. You know, like just distancing thing, you know, and, and have seats. Let's say you can't have anyone in the lower seats or whatever. Yeah, and then whatever section you're in, you have to only this certain, uh, maybe a conf- uh, concession stand. Yeah. You can't go to this side of the stadium. Yeah. And this bathroom only, so. I think it could be done with the proper planning. It could definitely be done. Because so if there's, let's say, like, there's like, what? 15,000 seats, you could probably yeah. do what, like 10% do you think would be good? 1,200 people or 20%? Yeah, I think 20, 20 is a good number. Like, you know, if you say it's like 2,000, you know, because yeah, you good. can just have mid and upper level. Double boxes too. And just distance everybody. Yeah. yeah, and then like you said, just have, make sure, because they can have ushers and make sure- Wait, well, ushers can deliver your food, that'd be much more yeah. sense. Or, or have whoever deliver your food, you know, or, or you know, or same thing, you can also rent out the skyboxes because those are like, you can, yeah. you can pretty much promote those as quarantine free zones. I could, yeah, because I couldn't imagine how much money the owners are losing from not having ticket sales, not, having, saying. not having food sales. <laughs> and I heard, I think, some stuff, football team in the States, yeah. I think they are losing about 70 million. Because yeah. people are tanking to the stadiums, they're not buying, like. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, it, you know, honestly, like, I, I did. I feel that things get, but I, I totally get it because obviously they're trying to eliminate the risk of obviously But like, I feel with proper precaution and precautionary measures, it, you know, you can integrate the fans back into sport because you know fans are are super integral to to, to sporting. Hundred percent. You know, a thousand percent, and you're seeing it probably now more than ever how you know, important fans are to, to sporting events, you know, in terms of what they bring, the energy, um, you know, the rivalry, the, the chivalry, the, the kinship, like I can name a lot of words in terms of what the fans bring to, to sporting events, you know, it's just different, like, you know, and and just being in, in that atmosphere, like that social atmosphere, you know, because, Oh, you build relationships yeah. there. Especially. Oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, again, yeah, yeah. It's, it brings so much, fans bring so much to the game. And yeah, yeah, again, the energy, like one, like for example, I've been to the Seahawks uh, Stadium and it was against Dallas. So definitely a rival game. Yes. And uh, this fans are known as a 12th man, so in the States, yeah. they're only around 11 men on the field. Yeah, exactly. Canada, there were 12 men 12 on the field. Men, yeah. So, but the fans are known as a 12th man, yeah. 12th man, sorry. And 
and basically it's so loud there that the opposing offense can't hear what's going on, what they're supposed to do, that causes so much confusion. Uh, it's such part of the, them winning the game, right? So, um, so for example, the Patriots playing the Seahawks this weekend yeah. at their stadium, but there's no fans. So they're saying potentially that could be a factor in the game maybe going the other way, uh-huh. even though it's a strong team, right? So, yeah. So some teams could, like, for example, even the Oilers, right? Where yeah. actually home field advantage the entire playoffs. Yeah. And they lost the first round. And I think sometimes because the fans aren't there to carry momentum, right? To cheer, cheer, to yeah. cheer them on, right? But at the same time... It's like, interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. At the same time, like, like as... You hear, as, a, you hear a smack talk and... Yeah, <laughs> you hear all the smack talk. But at the same time, as much as, as we, we can say that it'd be nice to introduce fans, man, it's been really cool seeing these guys basically going a gladiator style, yeah. like, you know, playing without these fans because it's, it's a different psyche too because, like, you well, know... Especially UFC, like, just them toe-to-toe yeah, fans. Like, you have no fans. Like, it's you and your competition and like you know if if you don't have certain momentum going your way you know you have to dig deep and and, and find something yeah. so it's been really cool to see but like you know uh it's been a lot more technical thing i find it's a lot more decisions a lot more because people yeah. because again you can you can hear what's going on you can hear their coaches you can hear your coaches yeah you it's, it's more know, adjustments a lot of a lot of things you know in, in watching sports is mean like you know it's very yeah very technical it's a lot of very extremely competitive. Yeah, you know, I I have seen like competitive like a like I'll give you an example of like the NBA bubble. Yeah, watching the NBA bubble well, for me was like watching like the NCAA tournament. <laughs> like just in terms of like that crazy like you know it's like when it done intensity like go hard or go home. It seems like uh, like LeBron's at thirty seven. He's like yeah. seems like he's on a tear right now. He's- yeah, man. Yo, that guy's crazy. Like. <clears throat> You know what? A lot of people they can compare him to, you know, Jordan or you know, Kareem or whoever they want to compare yeah. him to. You know what? I'm gonna say this, like, put respect on the guy's name, but I'm gonna say this as to why you gotta put respect on the guy. <clears throat> Is we have never seen an athlete ever that has extended their prime mm-hmm. like LeBron James has. Like it's Third city, or third team. It's so. It's. I'm in awe. Like uh, him and and Cristiano Ronaldo. That's another guy to put in the conversation too. Like you know how these guys are just extending their primes and 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 playing at, at a peak and still at a fruitless level. And even uh, sorry, but also uh, Tom Brady, Drew Brees. Yeah. And they're at 41, 43, and even though even though. Um, like Breeze looked amazing his first week. Yeah. And Tom Brady, but he lost. He still uh, throw the ball deep, no problem. He, yeah. He still looks like he's can throw the ball, and it's crazy. <laughs> Again, going back to taking care of your body, doing the right things. Yeah. And but now you have these young guys who are just yeah, insane, like Patrick Mahomes, whoever um, people who are NFL fans, football fans out there. Yeah. Yeah. Like that team and what he can do is just insane to extend plays and yeah man <laughs> yo it's yo honestly man like these young athletes coming up nowadays man it's it's very just crazy and and, and exciting at the same time just to see how the freak athleticism that these these 
uh, this younger generation is possessing. It's, it's you gotta start young, man. Modeling. Especially in the states, you gotta start basically out of the womb. Yeah, you know, I. <laughs> It's crazy that the culture, I'm um, sorry to cut you off, but like yeah. the culture in the States, like our hockey culture, um, yeah, again, you got to start young here in Canada if you yeah. want to make it big in hockey. And again, it's hockey, you have those hockey dads, hockey parents just force you or yell at, the, yell at the refs and then States too. And then some high schools in the States, I heard, and especially in Texas, mm-hmm. have their own like indoor facilities yeah man, it's crazy i'll i'll say this but I've, I've talked about this with people before yeah if canada invested into their sports like how they invest themselves into let's say hockey yeah as a whole canada would be one of the most dominant athletic nations in the world mm-hmm. i'm telling that on record if they invested the money into it, because like <clears throat> you see, if you go to the states, you see some of these high schools. They look in like like our universities in terms of like their their, their stadiums. And they stuff sell like every games, every game. And all the like games, every games. It's oh, crazy. Their college, some of the college. Um, a friend of mine. Yeah. Someone I know. Um, he went to I think uh, let's say LSU game. I think. Yeah. Or oh, I forget which team. They said there's like 80,000 80, or 100,000 yeah, people there. Insane. It's their college it's stadiums. College stadiums out there are like our state, our professional stadiums here in Canada. It's yeah. insane. Like it's it's, it's mind boggling because like you know college out there are are a billion dollar business. NCAA. It's a billion dollar business, and then just because these guys are making money off these athletic. Uh, kids backs off their namesake and everything. I heard him, uh, did you hear about the change in California? Oh yeah, that, I was super happy about they can, that. Uh, they can make the name off their own likeness so people can basically I think have like a, their own business that they I think sell merch or and actually provide it. For people who don't know, um, you know, it's because uh, sometimes there's an argument I, um, in regards to why do these athletes complain because, yeah. you know, um, well, they're playing football, they're at the mm-hmm. top of the, basically the top of the top in regards to the university. Yeah. And, but sometimes, you know, football's first. So mm-hmm. sometimes they can't take certain classes or certain, um, certain, uh, I guess, going to certain faculties because the, the their, uh, sorry, um, their timetable, their classes mm-hmm. interfere with football practice or game film, whatever, so they can't take those classes unfortunately. Yeah. And then some and then sometimes again the football and classes they have no time to work a job mm-hmm. to make money to do whatever. So then some of these athletes I heard like they're having like blowing sandwiches or they're walking to practice or yeah, man. and it's insane. And then some coaches aren't allowed to give players money sometimes because that's a violation and they can't do X, um, they, can't, they can't sell their own merch or make money off their own jerseys because it's a violation because they're considered amateurs. Yeah. And I, and I get it, and, but that argument depends. I get like when it first started back in the day, mm-hmm. but now it's, it's the, Times are different, and again, just making money, maybe just off jersey sales, I don't think it's a bad thing, or maybe splitting commission or whatever. But it's also because in, in everything breaks down to money. Yeah. It also turns you want to of, keep it. of what they're investing in these kids. <clears throat> because if you look at universities, states in the schools in the states compared to here in Canada, let's say universities, mm-hmm. compared to, you know, 
like school in the states for like one year, you're looking at like thirty, forty thousand dollars, probably yeah. up to a hundred grand, depending on what you're taking. If you're staying there on campus, yeah, compared to you know, let's say anywhere between you know mm-hmm. ten to fifteen, maybe twenty here, you yeah. know, which is you know a very dis. Um, so how a lot of these schools feel is like, okay, well, we're investing about $100,000 into this kid in terms of we're paying for his living expenses, we're paying for mm-hmm. all his books, we're paying for his dormitory, you know, all of that. So what's, what else do we have to give this kid? We're giving this kid everything already. It's already paid for, you know, and free education. Do you think do the regulations to maybe be uh, lessened or mean the penalties should be lessened in regards to them making money or at least having the ability to provide and get an income so they can actually uh, be able to eat properly or do whatever? Do you think that should be? I I feel that they can do something, but they don't want to because why? Yeah. Why why am I going to allow them to dig into my revenue and, and exactly. be on my plate? I'm already, I have a whole buffet. Mm-hmm. Why am I going to give them a plate when I have a whole buffet to myself and a whole restaurant? That's how they look at it. Yeah. You know, um, and I feel that they can work out something with, with these student athletes because I feel that these student athletes, especially because you know that this is a corporation that's making money off of them and their name and their hard work, deserve something out of it. You know, um, I know uh, what's his face, uh, I believe his name is Ed O'Bannon. He used to be uh, a player on uh, UCLA, and I remember he was actually, I believe, he was fighting for. Uh, what happened in California? I believe it was the head of uh, the head of athlete association, okay, or something like that. In in terms of uh, trying to prevent the change, and like you know, so kind of that going on in the state of California, that was like you know a big win. I believe probably like you know he's probably jumping around doing a backflip, you know, <laughs> like 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 he's like yes, <laughs> you know, it's like my, all my hard work is slowly paying off and it's manifesting and you know it's kind of cool to see like that. And I hope that at, you know eventually that every state does adopt that because I feel that you know these student athletes do deserve the reparations for all their hard work. Like you know what I mean? Like this is you know because. Uh, if you look at the percentage of these student athletes who go professionals, very low. Yeah. You know, very, very low. And these guys are making crazy money. And like and and you know, for for some of them, for some of these student athletes, you know, it's not because they weren't good enough to go pro, it's by choice. Some of these some of these uh, student athletes are like, I don't want to go pro. I don't want to live in a real life, I'm cool yeah. my degree, you know. Whatever, being there did that, that was just something to do type thing, mm-hmm. you know? And then you have those student athletes so like, you know, I've been working my whole life for this, so this is my only chance out from from where I was, you know, and I, I'm not taking for granted, you know, type thing. Yeah, I think there's a decent amount of people who that's like, this is the only shot to get up where yeah. they come from to provide a life for their family. And yeah, and they're in this, and they're, you know, they're in this complex and trying to go and, um, you know, and they don't make it, and then they, you know, they put all their eggs in one basket. But you know, I feel with these student athletes, you know, do you think there should be almost like a cap in regards to how much? Because do you think they, do you think there should be a cap in regards to how much? Because like, I don't think they should be able to make like six figures plus. I feel there should be like, I feel there should be like a fund. A fund. I feel like there should be like a, a, a fund, and then it gets pulled off to whatever. I feel how it should be organized. It should be organized in terms of 
what sport they want to be. You know, like let's say like obviously like football and like basketball and like hockey, those are like the NCAA's like bread and white right yeah, there. And, and I think some schools right now are feeling this thing of football not being played in some of these states and yeah. because uh, the donors and the boosters they're like, I'm not gonna give money to this playing, so there isn't a ton of money and testing itself how much money people are losing. Yeah, I, I feel that you know, that you know when a student signs a full scholarship or half scholarship, they should be entitled to a certain fund. Obviously, there should be certain stipulations. Like if I were to create it, this is how I would do it. It's mm-hmm. like here you get. I will set up this fund for you. You're entitled to X amount of money if you're a student athlete because I, I make money off of you. Yeah. But my stipulation would be upon the completion of you having your degree, I will give you whatever out of your fund. That would be my first um, If these universities are investing into you, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they, you know, they should uh, get the, the, you know, the do back, you know, like if, if, these kids are getting a free education. Like, a bunch of kids around the world would love to have a free education and not getting a free education. You know, I feel, I don't think that's something that should be taken for granted, like 100%. I feel that personally, me, the one and done rule or whatever they have for college, university, I think that should be abolished and eliminated. Like I feel if, if uh, because it's like, it's like this. If you're done school, if you're done high school and you know, they don't say, to you, oh, you have to do, you know, uh, one year of university to, to, to be a plumber or a welder or whatever, you know, um, you can get just picked up on the fly and, and learn and then do whatever in terms of uh, technical knowledge or acquirement of skills. And then go to school. And then go to school, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but no one, no one's blocking that and telling you, oh yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? So. Uh, why are we doing the same thing for you know these young student athletes? If these young student athletes are done and they go to school and they want to go professional, I feel they go professional. But I feel that those students who actually want to go to school and and uh, go to university, I feel that you know that should be a stipulation that they should you know stay and like I said, have a fund for them. Mm-hmm. And after they're done, you know, no matter what. They should have a part of this fund for being a student athlete, and then to have the terms of like them staying on the team for whatever, and, and you know, because obviously treat like you know how you treat like high school, like yeah. you know, make sure you're, you're you know you have you know uh, you're doing requirements in terms of of your academics, so you're not being an academics and uh, suspension, and, and you're in good standing. Make sure that obviously you know you're you're playing on a sports team or continuously or whatever. Even if you get injured, you're still participating. Whatever they have, so just like that, implement it. And, and you know, if these students follow this stuff, then you know, give them part of it. And then you're not getting burned by you burning your money investing into these kids because, yeah, like the, a lot of these kids have whatever, some accountability. But you know, um, yeah, so they make whatever money off and go professional or whatever. But like, what if this kid gets injured or whatever? Or what if things don't, you know, pan out or whatever? And they don't exactly have something to fall back on mm-hmm. exactly. Then I feel that something like a fund or whatever would they, you know give them some type of financial security in a sense if they you know allow to continue or or something like allow them you know yeah continue the education or you know uh, pursue something you know in regards of the degree or whatever the case is you know. Um, but then also. 
uh, I'm not sure how it'll work, but like leagues like the XFL, where uh, these students can be um, now either go play there, make money right away. It's almost like uh, going play in Europe yeah. for hockey right away instead of going to university, right? And then then going back. So I think some uh, thank God for the Rock. Yeah. Who uh, I forget who he partnered with, so I apologize for that. But he co co-bought the XFL mm-hmm. and that, that's going to be interesting to see because yeah, mm-hmm. that was such a fun football to see uh, I think some of the replays were much better than the NFL's is or yeah. currently and, For sure. and yeah I think some of the uh, uh, replays should be put in CFL but again I think part of the problem with CFL I think it's a problem mm-hmm. kind of is but it's, some of them are more city owned I believe Edmonton is more city owned or mostly mm-hmm. so that's why I think before and and after football games, the LRT is free. Yeah. And so I think um, that's why maybe it's not as widely advertised or because I think it would be maybe a bit more advertised. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not calling for it. I know, I'm not sure exactly how it would work, but maybe if you have maybe a little more um, private ownership of the football team yeah. and allow people to maybe market it more, market it in a different way, mm-hmm. I think it could be growth. Or maybe, do you think? And this would probably be a little bit controversial for a football fans, but okay. maybe merge with, like, say, the XFL or something like that, where, or, or, because I know a lot of people come to CFL, not everyone, because some people play in the CFL, yeah. and some people come to go and get back to the NFL. Um, oh. Because CFL, sorry to cut you off again, yeah. but uh, just to continue on, CFL, watching TV for me is a little bit more compared yeah. to NFL but it is good football you go to the yeah. stadium the atmosphere is amazing for sure I always love one of those football games but uh, how do you think um, the um, CFL could expand or market better because NHL again is big here no problem it's going to sell out every time others, even if we lose it's going to sell out yeah they they tried the CFL you think the weather or no, they tried to see in the States. I remember they had like a Baltimore team and it was like the Mad Dogs or something. Yeah, and I think the, the team in Baltimore. I remember the Baltimore team because they had one of my favorite Canadian running backs on it, Tracy Ham. Wow. Shout out to Tracy Ham. <laughs> yeah, he, he was he was playing on that team. It, actually, no, it was the Baltimore Stallions. Baltimore. Yes, the Baltimore Stallions. Yes, he, they were playing on the, he was playing on the Baltimore Stallions. That's what the name of the team because they were really American team. In history to win a, a CFL championship, I think it was in nineteen ninety four or ninety five. Really? Yeah, interesting. I, I remember that, and so they tried to expand to the states, and it just didn't quite work because it didn't it didn't quite pick up the Canadian game because obviously the states are used to the states games. Yeah, and, and more than that. fifty yards. Oh, yeah, um, hundred. Oh, sorry, I think. <clears throat> What the CFL has to do is they have to focus on their own ground. If you're going to cultivate a game and call the game your own, then you have to cultivate it and grow the crops where you have, you know, yeah. in Canada. Well, because there, there's and, some beasts. Like, for example, yeah. uh, Chuba Hubbard. Yeah. You know, you've heard about him, right? Of course, I'm. Yeah, so, so people who don't. From uh, Short Park. Yeah, yeah. You put for Beth Tracy, I think, yeah. He, I think he averaged insane amounts of carries, so, um, yards per carry, and then he was also, like, I think. For his age group, like one of the top ten fastest people in terms of hundred hundred meter dash, he finished third in, in the summer uh, internationally in, uh, in a competition. Oh, time. Yeah, damn, so, like, and that's an elite level speed. And then he was a, um, and it's very extremely difficult for Canadians to get um, scholarships and play in the states, especially in 
yeah, football, anything, football, soccer, hockey. Um, I think we have good hockey here, so yeah. I can say hockey. But so, but he got rated a five-star recruit, and he, I think, and I'm, I'm hoping the best because so far I think he's insane there. For what I saw, he's going to make the NFL for sure. And yeah, I'm buying his jersey for sure. Thousand percent, me too. Like for thousand percent, it's it's, Canada. It, it, it's great to see like you know great homegrown talent you know be successful, especially in in and and breakthrough, especially in leagues like the NFL. You know, it's, it's great to see. But yeah, like I said, it kind of goes back to to the investment in sports. Like you know, if if Canada was invested in sports and putting these money into universities and, and stuff like that and putting money into the athletes to be better and cultivating the athletes like they should, you know, this homegrown crowd would be staying, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, it's very seldom that you see that uh, Canadian professional athletes come directly out of Canada. They have to, you know, usually for the most part, they have to go elsewhere. Like they have to branch out to the States or go somewhere internationally to be seen or be recognized before mm-hmm. or, or be had access to facilities and training that we can't provide, yeah. you know, because we haven't invested ourselves into it like that. <clears throat> you know, um, I, I feel that the CFL uh, as a whole, it can, it can be grown, you know, um, but they put too much focus. Like, I feel like, honestly, like they treat the CFL in terms of their uh, drafting and their uh, rostering as, as um, like a NCAA like college job, like that's how that's how I feel they uh, treat it. Like, what do you, mean? Like, you know, like basically, like it, it it's basically like all the um, Division One and Division Two NCAA rejects. They basically get sucked up to the uh, CFL, and that's how the CFL basically treats it because you don't really see as much as the CFL is a Canadian football league. You don't really see a lot of Canadian athletes playing in the CFL or yeah. having pr- prominent or dominant positions in the uh, CFL. Like, you, like, you could, I, you can seldomly... Like, I think there I, has to be a certain percentage of Canadians think that they yeah. there's a requirement, but I think, because uh, I researched, because um, there was a time where I was like seriously training for football. Yeah, of course. When I met you, that was when I just started training to yeah, yeah. trial for the Wildcats. Yeah. And I was looking at open trials because Eskimos, they host open trials. I think after you Fresh team host open trials for people with tendency to kind of almost be like a walk on. Yeah. And I looked at all uh, the Eskimos. Yeah. And they like, maybe it's just why not? Like, why not go, even if I, I'm the worst person there? Of course. And all their open trials were in the state. States. Yeah. And I've seen like, that too. And so it's like, it's interesting. It's like, okay, I understand you're looking for, because again, I will, I will say the states do put more money into the development in regards to football athletes. Yeah. Crazy amount of money. So I get there's probably, and there's also a bigger population, so there's probably a bigger percentage of more talented athletes I can have, yeah. but then if you're not looking here, because there's, um, I played with one guy, um, yeah, I just played with so many talented people on the so I'm sure, you know, if they developed more in Canada, and we yeah. had developed a league more where maybe even the athletes could have a, I think, I think the athletes in CFL are making more income. It's slowly, slowly starting to get there where they can almost like be a professional athlete here, but most of them have to work a second job. Or- yeah, you see, if I was a CFL, this is what I would do. I would not, I would flip the percentage of American to Canadian players. I would feel like, yo, whatever NCAA 
Division one and two cats who trying to play professional or have a chance to be paid professional, I'm gonna limit that chance because I'm like I'm trying to homegrow my talent. Yeah. What's the point of, of putting these kids in in CIS and having them ball out in CIS and a lot of them are not even making it? Yeah, you have a league where you can have all this homegrown talent you can be cooking and pulling out from from the CIS and developing the league that way. And on top of that, you can be expanding the the game too. Um, you know, <clears throat> one thing which I'm super surprised about, which they haven't done, which they should be doing, is I'm, they should be putting a team out in the Atlantic. Do you like people oh, sleep on the maritime? People sleep on the maritimes as a, a you know a, a, on football like they where, where would you have where would you have a team though would I have a team probably well obviously a major hub probably like Halifax uh, you know like our um, Halifax or facility for sure yeah Halifax or like Moncton oh no but I feel like it be it could be done you know what I mean like or um yeah just you probably have to for sure test it though and maybe do like do trials and maybe host some games. They have mostly games and the games have sold out. Like people love people mm-hmm. in the Maritimes love and I, I think especially it being the Canadian Football League, why don't you have an Atlantic team? Fair. You yeah. have you have teams in Ontario, you have teams in Quebec, Manitoba, Manitoba, Alberta, Alberta, BC. But there is nothing in the Maritimes, not one. You don't have anything in Nova Scotia. In Nova and what would make it more interesting in terms of uh, playoffs and people winning championships? Because so far it's like, well, so far it's so few teams. That's like, if yeah. there's a dominant team, it's usually those couple of teams usually make it to the same playoffs. You want to know why I say there should be a, a, a team in the Maritimes? It's mostly for revenue. That's what they're struggling to create is revenue. That's why the CFL is being barely staying afloat like the nfl actually saved the cfl's ass at one point really? financially yeah they actually had to get a loan from the nfl to keep the league going you know and yeah, it's gonna be interesting <laughs> to see what's uh gonna happen this off season because you know no, no one's playing no yeah no revenue's coming in this is why i say there should be a team in the maritimes like you know because if you give you put a team in the Maritimes, you can pull those people together to, to have an identity or something to pull behind. And then let's say, hopefully in the future, you know, games can resume and be filled to a capacity like they once were. You know, you have those people coming in and they have something to identify and rally behind. You're making money, I guarantee you. You have people... Almost like, say, like, like Saskatchewan teams. Yeah, like exactly like Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan, that's the only, the Rough Riders are the only professional team. They Those have are some diehard fans. And they're some diehard fans. They come to here, they come to RSTM and they get rowdy and... You know, like, in the, in the East Coast, basically, like, you, you know, you're either like a uh, uh, Alouette's fan, an Argos fan, or like a Ticats fan. That's what you have because that's the closest thing to you. You know, if you have, you know, another team in, in, in the Maritimes, you know, I feel like there should be two teams. There should be another team in Quebec and another team in the Maritimes. Two, two more teams. Like, because I feel Quebec could have another team. They're the big enough province to have one. Yeah. You know, like, let's say put something in Quebec City. Or or somewhere yeah, else, and and then have one out in the Maritimes. You know what I'm saying? And you know, make it floppy floppy. Put like let's say the the Montreal Alouettes in the, the West Division. 
and then have the other two maritime teams in the, in the East Division or whatever because they're in the East Coast. So, like, it, you know, that's what I would do. But, you know, obviously the powers that be, you know, I don't control them, um, you know. But I know, like, if I ever came across the money, I would definitely would do that for sure. I would definitely rally behind and, and put uh, an effort together to put an East Coast team out there, the product, you know, a thousand percent, because I feel like the people of the East Coast deserve a good a football product, um, you know, uh, they deserve some a, something and an identity in the league, you know, it's fair, you can't call, like I said, you can't call the Canadian Football League, the Canadian Football League, and you're not at least representing most parts of, of the country, you know, in some type of capacity. I mean, it'd be, it'd be nice to have, um, you know, maybe a up north team. I don't know how that would work though. I don't know if that would work. Yeah, no. I'm just, dreaming, <laughs> I'm just dreaming at this point, but you know, like maybe a team out in the, in the Yukon, like maybe in the. In the so it's football Wars. everywhere. Yeah, football everywhere. You know, I have, I have, <laughs> have CFL repping everywhere, you know, but I mean, that probably would be either years away or in, until after our lifetime. But I think they did a good job of bringing back Ottawa though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you can, that's good so far, but I think I think they are doing a good job. They probably are looking at ways to expand. I'm sure they are doing a good job, and probably with uh, COVID now, um, yeah, probably that's probably going to back in their plans maybe a few years, just because right now they're not again they're not making any money. They have, they're forced to not play. Well, of course, and the NFL, yeah, the states owe them more money, so the facilities changed overnight, basically. Yeah. Uh, all the gadgets to check people and yo COVID messed up everything financially. Everyone took a hit in some way, shape, or form to a degree. Like, you know, in terms of sports leagues, in terms of us personally, businesses, small small businesses, everyone's uh, you know took some type of hit. What What do you have a question for? What do you think is gonna happen maybe in the next year? Or so where you, where do you see us going? Because I feel like we're almost at a tipping point in some cases. Um, man, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I really don't know. Um, I, I had to answer the question. Um, I, this is how I kind of see it. <clears throat> I see it as kind of like the flu or how they're going to treat the flu or how other kind of diseases have been that mass disease or whatever in history is the first wave, second wave, whatever is going to happen, you know, it's going to be incurable. In the sense it's not going to be incurable, it's just they don't know how to control it or, or cure it. But, and, and then, you know, the, the next wave that comes after that, you know, it, it's curable, it's controllable. You know, it's still, I guess, an outbreak of state of but it's something they can control. And then it just eventually, it's almost like diluting. And then eventually it, it becomes just a bunch of more just easy minor cases, like, yeah. okay, here, just like, you just know, take a couple of pills. Yeah, just take a couple of pills. So how, how, far out for week. how far do you think we're out from that point? Do you think six months, a year? You know what? To be honest, if I had to answer that question, I'll say like a couple of years. Couple like, years. yeah, like I, you know, like sort of, we're gonna be at the social, the physical distancing for a while now. Yeah, because you know, it, it, it's too fast and too soon to, to try to implement things and, and be so extreme. Like things have already been kind of extreme; how they've been implemented already yeah. to a degree. 
Um, you know, I personally think we just have to give it time to, to phase out and give, uh, you know, uh, these medical uh, professionals, fund workers, government officials, just give them time to kind of work out things themselves too. You know, uh, as much because like, yeah, we're, we, like as much as things are going on, you know, and we're putting a lot of pressure on these people to try to like make a decision right away, a lot of decision fast, and then at the same time, it's like, we, you can't really control something if you don't know exactly how you're fighting it, and you gotta give yourself time to figure that out at the same time, so, um, yeah, I, that's why, like, for the time being, it is what it is. Like, we just have to live how we have to live. I don't agree with it. Uh, you know, I'm one of those people who are against it, but, like, I, I have to come whether I like it or not. Yeah. That's just what it is. And, you know, I... We don't lose our uh, human interaction. Hopefully, don't lose our sense of community. Because, again, at the beginning of the lockdown, and I think that's what happened. We lost our sense of our community. Yeah. And people were just locked up inside. And... And I'm thankful that, you know, the ESCC has brought back sports, so yeah, I can fight football. It's fun to be out with people, just have a good time, and put your phone away, not yeah. get technology, and have a good time, and and, and I hope uh, we don't lose that aspect. And For sure. So, so hopefully uh, people abide by the rules, because I think in Canada right now, it's per the rules aren't that bad. You need to go, like you go to a restaurant, mm. you only have to wear your mask, yeah. Just when you walk in, when you sit yeah. down, you take it off. Exactly. So that's not that's not big old. Yeah. I think um, certain certain places, um, outdoor, outdoors, you don't have to wear it. That's optional. Yeah. And then obviously grocery shopping, you have to wear it. Yeah. And I mean, some places are still in, like complete lockdown still. So I mean, it could be a lot worse than. Well, I think California's on like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think in Canada, we're pretty, I think Canada for the most part is pretty. Um, how movie theaters are open, but I'm not sure how many people are actually yeah. out here. Like, I think well, it, it, for it's like how do I explain it? it? The best way to kind of describe like living in the times we're kind of living in with the adjustments. It's like when you, you know when you're at like Thanksgiving dinner, yeah, and you know you eat too much, and you're trying to like. Uh, like wiggle out, you're trying to figure out how to like release your belly yeah. in such a way to make yourself a little more comfortable. I think that's just kind of like to make an analogy. Like that's just what it is when when what we're encountering is just like right now we're kind of uncomfortable because we're you know uh, we're in unforeseen times and uncertain moment. But um, I think it's just give ourselves time to wiggle and learn to kind of just live with it for the time. Well, you know, I'm not hoping that things will like be like this forever. You know, not at all. Oh, me not, too. Not are, at all. Are you, are you, uh, are you seeing anyone right now? No, nah, not at all. <laughs> how, di- are you, how difficult do you think it is to try to actually like meet someone now in public? You know what? I don't think it's hard to meet people in public. No. Um, I think meeting public and public is just about the energy in which you present and the intentions in which you have in terms of communicating with the person. I think that's what it boils down to. Um, Obviously, you know, with this day and age and the things going on, people are going to be a lot more precautious in terms of the social interactions. Um, But, you know, in terms of still socializing public, I still be still there because especially 
you know, aforementioned people being cooped up and locked up in their house. There's some people that just, they just want to talk to whoever and whoever. They don't care. <laughs> you know, they're like, I don't care who it is. I'm going to be hurt. Another person. Another yeah, human being. Hey, you know, I, I, I don't think that's going to uh, be an issue um, at all. Um, some people are probably more cautious because they're scared. Some people are probably can't wait to interact with other people again. Yeah, no doubt. So in. But yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, ho- hopefully, you know, I know in schools you have to wear your masks. And, yeah. And I, I'm not sure, man, I'm not sure what that must be like now with uh, social yeah. media and wearing masks. You know, because uh, I know when I went to school, you know, social media was just on the rise. Yeah, exactly. No masks. <laughs> Man, I couldn't imagine, like, I, I'm not, I don't have any kids, you know, but I couldn't imagine being a parent right now with what's going on and combating, especially with multiple kids, you know, because I know a few parents that are in this situation in the complex of they got like one or a few kids going to school and the other kid or kids are at home getting homeschooled, yeah, you know, online. And it's like, you know, and then it's like, how do you keep up with that? And especially, you know, if let's say you have to also, yeah. let's say, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's very, um, it's very uh, interesting. Yeah, I, have to, I have to talk to my sis. She, uh, my niece is in school. She's in, I think, grade six. Yeah. And so she also has for a mask in school. Mm-hmm. And then but my sister, she's also a teacher. So she has all, she had to do the wiggling and, jig- and jiggling, moving around. Yeah. To adhere to the like the basic precautions, yeah. And now teach, so she has to do the double. She has to work, and make sure my niece is safe as well, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So that's interesting, yeah. In itself, and sh- and shout out to the teachers, yeah, have to deal sure. with it, and also with the curriculum. Like I think there's certain curriculum changes last minute too. Yeah, they're holding it down. So all the, all the first responders, and and like regardless of the seriousness of this disease, um, so I know I don't think it was as bad initially right now so far yeah. as we anticipated but uh, I think I think it's because we've done a good job just um, the frontline workers have done a good job of yeah man keeping everyone safe and doing their job and I think for the most part people have been just doing a good job of being um, polite in regards to masks I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen too many people wearing no masks in places and, and generally I think most people don't care anyways yeah. I find but I think for the most part I think yeah, I think if we just don't lose a sense of community and, and again, um, adhere to the rules in a sense, and hopefully those don't get too um, strict or stringent. Yeah. I think we uh, eventually, I think the, they'll loosen up quicker. Yeah. And we'll have, uh, maybe we'll do a, a football games and hockey games again. And um, here's, my, here's my opinion about masks. You know, um, just respect people's space. Like, you know, I know that, because I'm one of those people, I don't, I, I just severely dislike wearing masks. I feel like, you know, someone's muffling me yeah. and all of that. But Fair enough. I, I get, obviously, the reason why, the reason as to why I have to wear a mask, especially out in public. Yeah. And I have to honor and respect people's space. You know, especially if we share space, I have to honor and respect that. And, you know, I will I will do so, you know, but in within my, my own premises, premises or whatever, then I feel do whatever the hell you want. 100%. You know, because um, you're in a confined space, you're, you're closed off to, to, to the public. 
you know, for yourself. So that's how I just feel about it. So you don't mind wearing, so you don't mind wearing for a little bit while you go grocery shopping for a time being? Or? I mean, I, we have no choice, right? We yeah. gotta do what we gotta do. Like, we, I, I, you know, I you, do, you'd, you'd rather not though. I'd rather not, obviously, but you know, I mean, I, I, I can't not eat and do stuff and I gotta wear a mask to do certain stuff now. So I just have to do it. And that's just what it is. And I mean, as much as I don't like wearing it, that's, I just have to comply to do what I gotta do to keep it in my life. So um, that's what I, that's, like I said, I don't wanna comply to it, but I just have to do it because that's what it is. But at the same time, I have to respect people's space because, you know, there's just people who are, are, very vulnerable and I get that and I, I that's a fact I respect too so um at least at least now I can get some cool looking ones yeah no doubt oh, that's some swag to your mask <laughs> you, know I'm like, you know what I'm saying you can look fresh with the mask you know? <laughs> like it's that I never would have thought in this day and age you know wearing a bandana on your face to be acceptable in public and, and you can't even get pulled over by the police because you know where I grew up, if you wear a bandana over your face, man, you get, you get pulled over real quick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now you have to wear a mask. You know what I'm saying? Right? No, I'm like, yeah, no, I gotta wear one. It's like, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and you're seeing. And yeah, rocking. I understand the safety precautions. It's pretty funny. Like, now if you don't wear a mask, people look at you funny. It's like, yeah, you're crazy if you don't wear a mask. Like, like, why don't you wear So mask, quickly, right? how it flipped it before is like, people wearing masks and because there's so few of them it's like yeah. if you wear a mask in public they're like why are you wearing a mask like it's yeah. insane but now it's like if you wear don't wear a mask in public it's like you're crazy yeah man I totally get it. but you know I don't I like you know um like I said I don't care I don't I don't entirely support it but you know what I'm saying at the same time I get it and I respect it so I just I just follow it like it is and it's like hey okay if I gotta wear a mask I gotta wear a mask I ain't gonna fight you because it's not a win yeah you know what I'm saying there's no, you know you just gotta learn how to pick your battles and then you know with the whole face mask thing it's not, it's not a, a, a fight that you can really win right now this is you know, especially if it's something that's implemented from the government, you, one man is not going <laughs> to defeat the government. <laughs> it, 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 like, you would have to have something or a real one special circumstance going your way to defeat the government as one person. And, <laughs> and good luck. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, like, you you just can't fight it. Like, and, and, and also people, like I said, after mentioning, like, we just have to be respectful of people and, and their space too. If you, because like I said, people have their personal bubbles and, and if people, you know, they want to feel safe in their personal bubble, we gotta respect that as, as people too. Because I know I would want people to respect my space, so I gotta learn to do and cooperate with, with others too. So I just, you know, I just do what I gotta do. Simple as that. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, how's that? Because I know you've also been doing, been done doing poetry. Okay. Yeah. So have you been uh, keeping like poetry lately, or how's that been going? No, nah, I haven't really wrote anything um, lately. Nah. Like, for me, like, um, my poetry is more when I'm feeling a certain way. It's more of a, a like, a mental slash emotional expression just to get it out. It's not like... <clears throat> like, I could make stuff off on the fly and write on the fly. I could do that, but... Um, um, yeah, I guess I'm more like an emotional mentor, right? Like when I have things come to thought or I have things come to heart and I need to like, in such a way, that's when I write. Um, other than that, I don't really 
You know, it doesn't really come to me on a whim like that. But um, I've always been like artistic. I'm sorry, but also sorry. I don't know. So, and that may be doing photography lately. Yeah. Is that your latest thing now, photography? Or are yeah. you still on that? Uh, yeah, I've still been doing the photography. Uh, you know, uh, got a little bit in the band, just shooting pictures out there. Um, yeah, man, I just could be kind of get on the horse. I was on the off the horse for a while, but, you know, um, I was going through a lot personally, you know, that I was just trying to deal with and uh, balance myself to. Uh, get back on the horse and, and, and uh, be motivated to, to do it again. You know, and I'm, I'm feeling that intrinsic uh, motivation start slowly coming back and building up within myself to, to, to get on and, and have fun with it. But, you know, it's funny, um, you know, when you go through certain um, things in your life or you're in certain emotional or mental phases, mm -hmm. um, how much your mental and emotional capacity can get, you know, in terms of like things that probably wouldn't bother you or bug you or, or get to you all of a sudden do or, or break you down. And, you know, um, learning to, to do those things and, and combat those obstacles, um, is, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's quite the journey, it's quite the adjustment, it's quite the, the fight to, to go through when you're, um, especially as a struggling artist, you know, yeah. to, to have that motive. Because, like, as an artist, it doesn't matter whether it's music, whether you, you draw, paint, write, do photography, you know, do whatever digitally, um, you know, uh, you need motivation. That's your that's your, your core. That's, like, the, whatchamacallit, the... Uh, your being almost your being. No, I was trying to compare it to uh, Thanos, the uh, what you call it, the Infinity Ring, the Infinity Ring. Uh, yeah, man. I was trying to compare it to that, like that. It's like the the, the, the glove, you know, because you have certain motivation, but like you need you need to have that and acquire certain motivations and, and have certain things come to light to, to kind of have that power and like, like, like Thanos, you know, and, and have your best work come out. But, you know, everyone's motivated differently too. 100%. And having their, and, and have their inspiration. Cause that's a, that's a, like one of the, I guess there's certain stones like that inspiration, you know, that I mean, I, uh, you being art, so one of the stones like inspiration, one of the stones would be motivation. Um, one I feel one of them would be uh, your technical knowledge. You know that's that's big because especially um, as a artist, no matter what you do, I feel that your knowledge is your limit. Mm -hmm. um, you have to keep growing. You have to keep learning because you're just limiting yourself. And if you so always kind of always kind of be a student. Yeah, you always be a student because. Um, I think that's so important in so many uh, areas of life, you know, not just being an artist, I think yeah. in any career, just yourself, like, I think that that's why you're getting going, going back to taking care of your body, like, yeah. you can't just exercise for one year and then not exercise for the rest of your life. And exactly. think you're going to be, your body's going to hold up and you guys are continuing to, you know, for me, for me personally, I do weight lift. Yeah. Um, 
well, sometimes yoga, so I like to be able to play sports, mm-hmm. and so that's how I keep fit. And then, yeah. so I think there's other ways you can do so long term. But yeah, you always have to like find different ways to keep on expanding, learn, and grow. Yeah, that's the process, and then make mistakes. And I think also sometimes people don't stick with the process long enough. Like, yeah, I think sometimes. We want instant success. We want the fame and fortune now. Yeah. And then sometimes we don't stick with our car. We don't follow our path. We would maybe hang out with the wrong crowd. You want to know what it is, man? Like, I, I feel, especially nowadays, because obviously we're always our worst critic, but I think it's even worse now because we live, like you were saying, in, in the age of education. 100%. And you know, you look at social media and things going on social media, and many people compare themselves to social media and what's going on. But people present certain complexes on social media, and then behind closed doors, it's like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know, like you'll see, like, for instance, we will go to the classic, you know, happy couple, you know. Smiling, they're always sharing these photos of them, you know, nice the happiest couple on planet Earth. It's like, and you're looking at these pictures like, man, I wish I had that, yeah. man, whatever. And then, you know, you, you meet them or you hang out with them or you let's say you personally know them and they're always bigger and fighting, like you sort of think, like, or they don't yo, they're, they're the most putrid enemies. Like, you sort yeah. of think it was like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, <laughs> you know, and honestly, like, like and, uh, yeah, and I, I could imagine what it'd be like um, just to be a teenager in general, but specifically um, being a female teenager growing up with all um, compare like because obviously like you compare yourself growing up, you're trying to find who you are, and you look all these filters. You're trying to like, just you try to go on social media, people put all these filters, and I think there's a picture of uh, Joe Rogan, yeah, and his daughter using the filter and made him to like a pretty good looking woman, and like that's crazy. The, the amount of filters you can put on yourself to make you look a certain way and center aspect just creates this just almost um, it just creates a harmful mindset growing yeah, up because you're trying to be that you're trying to be that naturally and, yeah. and just, people just have to be love themselves for who they are and their bodies and feel comfortable in their own skin and mm-hmm. and not compare themselves and but it's so difficult. It's so difficult because you want to be popular, you want to be like. Yeah, I uh, I tell people this, man, and and I look at it from this complex, man. It's like we were social before social media, hundred percent. You know, um, and I try to look at life kind of like like. Here's the thing, like social media is a great tool. Don't get me wrong, social media is amazing in the terms of like connecting, connecting in terms like of how you can because you, you mentioned you're from Toronto, so you can yeah. FaceTime your family Toronto right now. What time? You know what I'm That's saying? That's amazing, right? Like, what's the swiftness? And yeah, it's basically got dinner together. Yeah, like you know, back in the day it was a horse and carriage delivery yeah, mail. So exactly. But at the same time, Social media has made the world so much smaller. People live on there sometimes. You know what I'm and, and, and it's made the world almost feel like it's microscopic, even though the world is this big, magnificent, beautiful place. It's made it feel very, very small and stagnant. Like, you know, because people all over the world are obviously on social media and people are sharing things all over the world. Like, what is it, what is it for you to wake up and, and see some kid or someone, you know, doing their thing in like Germany? 
Yeah. <laughs> your first thing in the morning. That's why you like social media is kind of giving you nowadays. Yeah. It's like you basically like ah, I woke up a German technically. Yeah. Even though you know. I didn't, because like, you know, I have a friend who so, up in Germany. Right, so you so negative or, um, or do you think Britain, you need to have brought closer to the other? It, it's 50-50 for me. Like, you know, I think it's a good thing and a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because, you know, it's especially in terms of, let's say you actually have good information and reliable information, it can get out there with the swiftness, it can get out there like crazy ass wildfire, like you know, um, because you know, uh, especially like let's say with you know um, what's going on in terms of uh, you know like say the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff like that. I can give you a historical context on it. Um, back in uh, North Carolina, uh, you know they. Uh, most of the uh, congressmen at one point were of uh, African American descent. So um, there is a white supremacist group that uh, tried to, uh, and then it did override many of these congressmen. So there was a big newspaper, and you know, newspapers back then were basically like social media now, uh, getting word out and spreading news and information, important information that you probably couldn't say out necessarily public. Or broadcast, you know, out in public, you know, mm-hmm. to masses because that would be getting you hung or whatever or whatever the case is. And um, they 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 burnt it down. Uh, these white supremacists. But I'm not obviously comparing, you know, brace or to social media. Yeah. But just to give you a, a, a comparison to like just how fast. Information can be spread. So you're saying you're you're more concerned about the, the widespread of misinformation around the world and how things are reviewed or well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of fake information that obviously gets spread on, on social media, just like there's a lot of correct information. But yeah. I think I think it's a matter of you going and educating yourself to make sure you the information that you are being fed is is correct and holding yourself accountable for it because I. Especially with these new sources that are considered reliable sources, they're not reliable. That's no. my opinion. I mean, like CNN got booked for for showing images of Italy during the coronavirus, broadcasting it as if it is New York. Well, you know what I'm saying. And this was supposed to be a reliable source for giving you reliable information, you know, and it's not. And so it's up to you. That's why I always feel like it's up to to us to really just go out of the way to inform ourselves and make sure that the information being fed is the correct information. You know, because especially with the social media, there's a lot of information that being pulled from a lot of sources that you have access to. That's just the beauty of technology nowadays. Like, you know what I mean? Like, information's in the power of your hand. You have the world in the palm of your hand, literally, you know, in terms of what you can access and mm-hmm. how you can access it too. Because literally, I like, if you told me as a kid, you know, you would have, you could take your computer outside with you. Your TV and, with and you. And your TV. Your phone. Your video game system. <laughs> You know your 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 flashlight compass. You bring your own. You know, bring all your, your your tools with you. Like, if you told me I could bring all those things with me and and put it in my pocket, my pocket. <laughs> no, cord, no cord. No cord. 
I would have I would have laughed at you, or I would have probably gone to my parents and said, "Yo, this guy's on some junk." Because <laughs> there's no way, there's no way. Like it's crazy. I'll tell you something. Another fascinating fact. I'm full of those weird, fascinating facts. Um, if we brought a smartphone now, if we can build a time machine. Let's say we build this closet over here and make a time machine and, you know, freaking, we can go back, let's say, to the 90s, maybe early 80s. Guess how much a smartphone would cost if we can take that piece of technology, what we have now, back into that time era? Thousands of dollars. Like 10 grand, definitely at least 10 grand phone, or if not more. So the earliest computers were... I'll tell you what, with the technology you have accessible in a smartphone and the capabilities it has in terms of uh, what it can do. Because basically a smartphone is like a supercomputer. Yeah. It's very fascinating. If you took that, we can go back into the 90s, basically we were born. The best smartphone we possess would be worth about $300 million. How does it go to that figure? I read about it. Um, cause I'm, I'm a low key, I'm a, I'm a technology nerd. Right. I love my, my technology. I've always been fascinated with the, the, the advancement of automation and, and to oh. just think that, you know, could help humankind. I've always, cause I've always been into science. Like one thing I probably, people don't really know about myself is like when I was a kid, like my dream job was to be a test. I wanted to do experiments and, and build robots stuff like that so I used to do my life I used to build like robots yeah. and, and build stuff that I would you know be automated I always wanted to get into robotics stuff like that that was kind of like my dream thing um, so I was always being enamored with technology so um, yeah just kind of seeing you know the advancement of, of, of technology um, and how it's advanced like it just got me to reading you know different articles and stuff like that so I was reading um and articles in uh, PC world. And, you know, they were breaking down the smartphone. And, and this was like a older model of phone, of course. I think this was like, like iPhone 3 or whatever, or whatever, and then like a Samsung, whatever the case was. But they're breaking down like uh, the performance of what the phone could do compared to the computers then. And the camera, information. And the, the camera, because like the phone I have, this one right here I have now, like it's one of the best like phones in terms of like the camera. Professional cameras. Like better than yeah. the, my DSLR that I have. And like, literally, like a shoot quality. decent movies or decent videos. I can shoot, I can shoot video in 8K on my phone right now. Well, 8K, not 4K, 8K. <laughs> totally. Like it's uh, like I was like what. Like, like it's I crazy. See, I can see how it'd be worth a quite a bit. Yeah. So like, and and let's say uh, back then, like four twenty was like high definition. Not even like seven eighty or ten eighty or no, none of that. You know. So bringing that back, you know, to the nice yeah, I was reading this article and they're breaking down literally like. Because uh, you have a supercomputer, you have a uh, high-end uh, elite movie camera, you have a phone, obviously, uh, a supercomputer, 
uh, with RAM and technology uh, packed into it. Uh, storage. Storage. Uh, what else did they break down in this article uh, uh, with the computer too? I apologize. Eventually, I'm going to need to get a computer set up so we can start Googling stuff live here so then we can validate stuff and check things and, and actually okay. read the sources. That'll be much better because then we can talk about more things and we can most research more of them. That's the, that's the next step. And But uh, also, would you would you like to be a uh, a, a re-guest? Oh, of course. No, this was a, this is a super dope experience. You know what I'm saying? Like this was my first. We talked about a lot. I hope we made some valid, some good points. We talked about no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Like this was my first ever podcast. You know, and and you know, I felt comfortable. It was chill. Like and we're almost at we're on. It's almost been two hours, by the way. Yeah, that's crazy. Two hours. Yeah, man. Huh? Yeah, man. Like I feel like you know what I'm saying. Like. Well, for me, I'll tell you another fascinating fact about myself. I actually hosted a radio show at one point in my life when I was younger. Really? Yeah, man. Like, uh, yeah, man. Uh, well, I think you'd be good with the podcast. You should do one. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I, I did one when we were younger. Like, there's a group of us, and we went to, like, this acting school, but it was an like acting school slash radio school. So, like, part of the kind of, it was, like, a six-week program or something like that. So, like, half of it was, like, learning how to act. And like half of us learned how to host radio show. Like we did, yeah, we were hosting this radio show. It was cool. Like it was an internet radio show, and I, I, that was the first ever like internet radio show or anything I, I ever had or done in my life. And it was cool. Like I learned about like um, content, like what to do, how to cut radio ads, um, learning about the Canadian content of how much Canadian content you have to play on radio legally. Which is thirty five percent to answer that question, by the way. So if you host a radio station, you're you like legally you have to bump. If you're bump playing music, you have to bump thirty five percent of Canadian content at all times on Canadian radio to legally function. Um, so I learned that. Um, you know how to uh, introduce different hosts, how to like you know cut different like segments, all that stuff. So it was like it was really cool. It was a very uh, uh, really cool experience. So, like you know being here, it's kind of almost like I feel like almost back in my old elevator. <laughs> like you know in terms of radios, I was like you know because like you know I didn't know what to expect because like you know like I said I've I've listened to podcasts and stuff like that, but I've never ever participated in them. So this is my first time doing it. So you know, but it's like man, it's just like you know what I'm saying. It's literally just on radio. Yeah. Well, you just get to like speak your mind, voice your opinion. Yeah, that's the that's the way I want to format my podcast. Want to be yeah. uh, not necessarily I don't be placed in any particular genre or yeah. bubble, and I don't just want people from. Uh, for whatever job, whatever walk of life, just come on and talk if they want to about certain issues. Yeah, no. If you want to sometimes bullshit, talk about maybe football, whatever, I just do that. Yeah, nah, this could be like the new Vlad TV, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, for real, like, you know, shouts to Vlad, that informer, but, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, no, like, um, especially with, like, everything going on in terms of uh, what's going on, I'm like, yeah, podcasts are sick for entertainment and what you can put out there. Um, you know, eventually down the line, you know, you could probably put little music segments or little audio I segments. So. I know that right now, yeah, there's regulations about that. Yeah, hopefully. for sure. Yeah, but yeah, man, uh, it's definitely been fun and definitely have you again soon here. Right? Yeah, for sure. Thank you, brother. Most definitely. Most love, man. Thank you. <laughs>